Thanks for joining us for episode 10 of What's Up Winona, the only podcast that keeps you on the up and up on what's going down in the island city. So my name is Tesla Mitchell. I'm a feature reporter for the Winona Daily News. And today I'm going to talk to you about Watkins breaking the Guinness World Record. Super awesome. I'll tell you more in a little bit. I'm Tobias Mann, crime and government reporter, and I'll be telling you uh, about the county and the city uh, council forums this week. And I'm Maddie Heim, I'm the education reporter, and I'm gonna be talking about uh, the new rules for sexual misconduct on college campuses that Betsy DeVos is planning on proposing and what that could mean for colleges in Winona. Well, okay, so we can't have our dessert before the main entree, so <laughs> Maddie, tell us what's on the main dish here. What's your story? Yeah, so um, a couple weeks ago, or just a few weeks ago, um, the uh, Betsy DeVos, the education secretary, um, put forth kind of um, some new rules about how sexual misconduct would work on college campuses. Um, she didn't actually put them forth, they're not published, but the New York Times got to look at them and wrote some articles and it just kind of blew up and um, because obviously, you know, like other things that she's done, uh, they're pretty, the changes are pretty controversial. Um, and so this week I talked to um, folks at Winona State, at St. Mary's, and a little bit at um, Minnesota State College Southeast, um, just to see what those changes could um, do to policies that they have for sexual assault and harassment on their campuses. So um some of, the, some of the changes yeah so some of the um the big change that i think kind of caught people's attention is that um, one of the proposed rules would be that um, colleges are no longer responsible for investigating um, incidents that happen off campus so whereas before under obama they were as long as it was two between two students they were required to look into it um and so with this, um, you know, DeVos put forth something saying like, you know, it'll it'll save uh, colleges and universities money because they won't have to look into um, assaults off campus. Um, and I was talking to um, Alexandra Pickt, and she is um, a junior at Winona State, and um, she's part of the reinitiative there, which kind of helps set up some. Um, victim support services, stuff like that, um, on campus, and she was saying how, um, you know, if if that rule does go into effect, she wanted to know if then DeVos was going to make sure that local police departments were um, prepared to handle, you know, a bunch more reports if anything off campus is, like, doesn't have to be, um, you know, the university doesn't have to do anything with it. Um, so that's definitely an interesting question. Um, another one of the um, another one of the proposed rules or another thing that is different from under Obama is that um, the two parties involved, so like the accuser and the accused, um, she had said something about them being able to cross-examine each other during the investigation. Um, which was a big no-no under Obama. And um, I think a lot of colleges and universities have that as part of their policy that that's, 
you know, it shouldn't be done, is really hard for the survivors, stuff like that. So um, when I was talking to the Title IX coordinator at um, Winona State, uh, Lori Mickle, she was saying how not only, you know, is something like that, it could be troubling because who wants to be questioned, you know, like you're in a courtroom if you're just reporting to your university, um, that also because Winona State and the rest of Minnesota State practices this um, this model called an investigator decision maker model. So basically when someone brings um, an incident of sexual misconduct to the university and wants to report it, the investigator, which is Lori, the Title IX coordinator, she, um, she will talk to the person who reported, she will talk to the person who's accused, she will talk to anyone else um, who they think is relevant to the investigation, um, gather documents, stuff like that, and then it gets sent to a different person and that person makes the decision about um, what's gonna happen and whether the person violated oh. university policy. But if this whole cross-examination thing is gonna happen, she's not sure if that would have to change because she, she said, you know, would the accused person submit their questions to me and I would ask them to the complainant or like how would that work so there's kind of a lot of questions up in the air right now and there's actually several parts of this um, these rules hazy as they are right now that might conflict with Minnesota state law um, but everyone's kind of just waiting to see um, what the rules actually are going to be once they do get released. Right, because these rules aren't rules yet, they're just kind of right. like this memo or something ideas. that the ideas that Betsy DeVos was kind of uh, pushing around and the New York Times got their hands on this. Um, but, you know, from my understanding, sexual assault is something that's traditionally underreported in universities. Uh, and so it's it sounds to me that many may be concerned that uh, if the universities are no longer investigating them, um, steps can't be taken to uh, protect other students from potential predators, um, especially if the police departments either aren't getting involved or if they are getting involved, there isn't adequate communication between the police departments and uh, campus security. Yeah, right. yeah, that's totally right. And I think, you know, what a lot of people said to me during this was, you know, the university can provide uh, a type of reporting experience that you don't, I don't want to say you can't get when you go to the police, but when you go to the police with a report, like there is the possibility that you'll have to show up in court, you'll have to be on the, you know, be on the stand, stuff like that, if it goes that far. And with the university, that exact process, that kind of like court process doesn't always have to happen. And so, um, I think a lot of people that I talked to were expressing not concern, but just kind of noting that these possible rules could be moving universities to look more like courts of law instead of universities with mm. this stuff. Yeah. It'd be very interesting too, so I'm thinking of like things that happen off campus. It could, um, on, the, on the flip side of that, lead to more serious charges for offenders if it's being handled by the police rather than like the university, which sounds like it could be a lot more serious. Right, because so. the way charges are filed um, in the, the actual court system, 
most of the time the investigation is beginning they have enough information to charge and they may find that those charges are um, you know not real you know not realistic to the uh, you know the crime that was committed or there may have not have been any crime committed but at that point those charges are filed the the perpetrators is then has their information published right and you know, generally speaking, when they file these cases, they have a pretty solid case that they, that, you know, proof that something happened. But it may not be as severe as um, what the charges may suggest. And that can be incredibly damning to somebody who maybe made a mistake, but it wasn't as bad as, you know, as it was maybe made out to be in the charges, in the, inter uh, in the interviews and the charges filed. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, there's a lot to it. Yeah. yeah, and I think one thing that is important to note is that um, just because, you know, if, if that rule about the off-campus um, investigations does go through, um, it's important to note that just because universities don't have to investigate those incidents, they could still just keep their old policy of investigating oh. them. And so when I was talking to Lori from uh, Winona State, she, she said that exact thing. She said, you know, we can't do less than the federal law, but you can always do more than the federal law. Oh. And I'm curious to see if if the federal law like loosens on a lot of this stuff, if universities will still just keep what they had. Right. So I'm curious to know yeah. what the cost associated with the current policy as it stands and how, because general, generally speaking, a lot of these things come back to cost. And if it's not cost effective or if, the university is looking to trim as many universities are at this time with declining enrollment. Um, I, I'm curious to know whether or not there's there may be an argument to be had by some of the university staff to say we are not required to do this so should we and I'm, ho I'm hoping that that's not the case. Yeah yeah I'm hoping that as well and just I think there are a lot of people that would argue that if you're looking to trim from your budget this probably wouldn't be the place to do it so So Tobias, I heard you had a couple late working nights this week. What were you up to? So uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, the League of Women Voters held their candidate forums for first the county on Tuesday and then uh, the city council on Wednesday. And the, the six city, uh, or I'm sorry, the six county uh, board candidates had an opportunity to share kind of their agendas, their, their viewpoints, and their feelings about different issues um, currently facing the county. And the kind of the same thing went for the city council um, on Wednesday night. Um, but when it came to the county, the big issues that kept coming up over and over again, just, you know, no matter what the questions were and how they were worded, the county's multi-million dollar budget kept coming up, ways to spur economic development in the region and transportation just kept coming back up over and over again. Um, this is kind of an interesting uh, county board race right now. We have, in the first district, um, we have Jim Pomeroy, who's no longer running. So in his place, Chris Meyer and Paul Double are looking to fill that spot. So we've got a really um, contested race with no incumbent in the first district. In the second district, um, Mike Sharon uh, is running against incumbent uh, Mary Koveski, 
And Marsha Ward, who's been on the board for, I think, 16 years now, um, is facing competition from a, a relative uh, greenhorn when it comes to politics, Bryce Lang, um, who currently serves on the, the Lewiston uh, City Council. Uh, so it's, it's a quite contested race. And you might think that because of those um, so many contested seats this time around, that things probably got heated, and that's really not the case. Uh, the, the League of Women Voters did an awesome job setting this up, but a lot of the community's questions that were brought up were kind of softball questions and hard for candidates to stand apart. Um, I think that a lot of the questions um, spoke to a very base response of everybody needs and wants these kinds of things. Everybody wants to see the budget balanced in uh, county uh, property taxes to stabilize, as well as economic development is a huge driver in the region that keeps people here. Right, right, interesting. Um, did you hear anyone in particular say anything different um, with within those topics? Was there anybody that was just like way way off to one side. So Bryce Lang is an interesting uh, candidate in that he's running up against a, a very conservative county board member. And Lang is, has his base squarely set in rural Winona. Um, so it's not like he's a direct contrast to Ward. Uh, he, he's very focused on economic development uh, in those rural areas. And where he's kind of set himself apart is uh, whereas Ward is kind of a, has painted herself as the big picture Winona County as a whole candidate, uh, Lang seems to be taking his, that, that fifth district seat very seriously as being that the, the rural seat. It represents the largest part of the county. And he's going back and saying, no, this seat needs to take care of the rural communities first. So there, huh. there is, um, a dynamic. Those two have had, I wouldn't call it spats during the forum, but they, they've brought each other up and referred to each other's uh, platforms and views of each other. Uh. Um, Ward is pulling on, um, you know, years and years and years of experience on the board. She has served on that board, I think, four terms already, and she's running for a fifth. She's always been a very outspoken board member yes. as well. Um, and she makes the she always makes the county board meetings interesting. She does. <laughs> um, Lang I, Lang is coming from uh, you know he's working on a uh, I'm sorry I'm forgetting the master's degree he's working on um, uh, politic what is the politics degree I political science political science degree. Um, he serves on the Lewiston uh, City Council, so he's he's still a relative greenhorn when it comes to politics compared to Ward, and that's he's kind of painting that as a, a, a pro. Um, he's not he's kind of painting himself as somebody who's not colored by the, these other you know this long experience of the, maintaining the status quo and keep you know he's he's very much about bringing new ideas to the table. Right. Um, Ward is very calculated, and you can see that in her answers. Yeah. Um, she has been, uh, rather than talking about what, you know, things 
she wants to do, she's often talking about things that she's already doing. Right. Uh, and kind of harkening back to this idea that she's already working on these issues. It's not like she's going to start because somebody's put her on the spot. Right. Um, and she's got this plan. And so she's, in almost every question that was posed to her, she spoke mostly about the issues facing Winona County and what she and the board are already doing. Gotcha. I'm really curious about um, Chris Meyer versus Paul Double. So I remember Paul Double used to be on the Winona City Council. And Chris Meyer has been largely into environmental. Um, she's been in like environmental groups. And I think one of those was even with the county as like a volunteer. Um, and so, I mean, Chris, is, Chris has definitely been involved in the community quite a bit. And her husband is Paul Schulmeyer, mm -hmm. who is currently on the city council. That'd be an interesting story if they both made it on. Right. A couple who were both, like, <laughs> running. But what's, so yeah, what's Chris, them? So Chris Meyer and Paul Double are um, a little bit more of those different sides of a coin. Um, Meyer has, seems to have a, a, a mindset of, let's look at what needs to be done and then look at ways we can make things affordable. Whereas Double is... Uh, was very much focused on cutting and uh, keeping the county out of programs that it can't afford. Gotcha. Um, Meyer focused a lot on programs that were cost benefits. They would require an investment from the county, but would end up having huge returns. And what she was referring to there was um, preventative measures to keep people out of the jails and keep them on the, you know, as right. a tax base. People who are shopping in Winona are paying sales tax. People who are homeowners are paying property taxes. Uh, the county is responsible for uh, child um, out-of-home placements for children whose parents can't take care of them. And that's, a, that's the biggest burden on the county's budget right now is the number of kids who can't be right. um, taken care of by their parents. This idea that um, by keeping people out of jail for um, you know, drug offenses or nonviolent offenses, they are at home, they're taking care of their kids, and they're keeping their kids out of those out-of-home placements, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Right. Um, but programming like that, it does take an investment, and she was kind of pointing at this idea is that by taking those steps and making those investments, um, you can save money in the long run. Right. Um, and so we've talked a little bit about the county. I know you did the city as well. How did the city forum turn out? So the city forum was actually uh, a little bit more interesting in that while, um, and I'll give a little bit of, short of a shout out to uh, George Borsakowski in the fourth ward who did participate in Wednesday night's forum. Um, his seat isn't contested. He's not running against anyone. Uh, but he did serve as somewhat of a contrast to uh, Jerry Craig, uh, who has served on the board for 32 years and is looking to extend that uh, to 36. Um, he's running against Eileen Moeller, who is a, a, another uh, kind of greenhorn in the, the political field. Um, Eileen uh, Moeller had a really, really um, polished performance during the forum, as did uh, Jerry. Jerry has been on the board for a very long time. He's fairly well-spoken. 
And both of them spoke to issues that were very um, clearly near and dear to their hearts. Um, you know, Craig returned to a, a, a long-held um, position of protecting Winonans and keeping Winona a safe place, while um, Moeller focused more on transportation issues that I think Winonans will really um, notice quickly, uh, keeping streets uh, clean, clear, and relatively potholeless. Uh, <laughs> fixing alleys, um, which there was a plan to fix the alleys, and that was pushed back a little bit um, when the city moved forward on its um, budget. Uh, and the other thing that uh, Eileen focused on was uh, affordable housing, specifically for seniors. And the two did um, talk a fair bit about steps that were going to be taken to um, care for aging the aging population because Winona's population apart from the you know several thousand uh, college students who uh, Winona's would say invade every fall uh, <laughs> the population is getting older right um, and so where Moeller was focused very uh, staunchly on providing seniors a way to stay owners of their properties um, but also allow them to downsize cut costs and reduce the responsibilities, you know, uh, affordable housing for seniors was a big focus that she um, was looking at. Craig was uh, pivoted toward another issue that has been in the news quite a bit, which is the Friendship Center. Yeah. Um, um, he spoke a fair bit about making sure that there is program, recreational programming that seniors want and is age appropriate. Um, if you create a bunch of programming for the new Friendship Center, wherever that ends up, that's not appropriate, you're not going to attract the people who need it most. Interesting. But there is a, what I'm curious about is there is a Friendship Director, Malia Fox, who, mm -hmm. who does all that programming and stuff out. I'm curious as to what Jerry thinks the City Council's responsibility is in creating programs. So. I think Craig was referring to, uh, in the planning of the Friendship Center, uh, spaces for these kinds of things. Oh, okay. Um, I think he was mostly focused on making sure that if they're going to build green space, um, they have some sense of how that green space is going to be used because they don't, you know, that green space is going to cost something to put in and maintain, right. uh, and if it's not being utilized where something else might be utilized. So it's kind of a almost a backwards approach to programming yeah letting programming lead uh what uh they end up doing with the space interesting uh, okay craig wasn't as interested um in dictating what that programming is i he okay. gave a he gave a shout out to malia in and really commended her for the work that she does uh so i hope that answers your question yeah definitely okay it gives some clarity Cool. So Tesla, you brought in a rather sweet treat this afternoon. Uh, tell us where that cake came from. <laughs> yes, it's just, now it's time for the dessert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, Watkins um, has broken the Guinness World Record for the greatest number of layers on a layer cake. Yeah, so this thing was huge. It was six feet tall and one inch. And, <laughs> and it weighed in at like 
1,250 pounds. Ugh. That's a lot of cake. Yeah, and so it beat it with 260 layers. And so um, there's a couple, there's not a couple, there are many different guidelines that this um, cake had to, um, had to fulfill in order to break the actual world record. So one of the things was, was um, and this is the hardest, is that the cake had to be able to stand on its own for 60 seconds without any kind of help from either people's hands or um, most importantly any kind of structure inside or outside. So a lot of times you'll see with like layered cakes that there will be a plastic little like dish thingy where you know it holds in between every once mm -hmm. in a while so that it helps it actually stay together. This cake had to have nothing, only the ingredients, which the recipe, the ingredients, everything had to be um, like approved by Guinness before they even made it. Yeah, and so, and it was close, it was so close. So they get these um, 260 layers on, and they did that by like, they did 150 layers into this big, huge base that was like 32 by 24 inches wide. So it was this big rectangle. And then they made smaller rectangles um, in layers and did it up that way. And so, um, yeah, and so, and then another thing that had to be was that they had to be thin layers in order to do that many layers. So that each layer was like a quarter inch thick. And um, there had to be icing in between each layer. And so imagine there's all this icing and stuff and they had it inside and yeah, the air conditioning's on, but it's icing and there's tons of pressure and all these pounds. And so the thing is like sliding and slowly falling and it's like a, you know, leading tower of Pisa kind of thing. And, um, and so they had gotten everything up there and then everybody had to back away. And then the timer started because there was a Guinness world record judge there and it made it to like, like at that like 61 second mark like that thing was like just toppling over, like it was trying to topple over, you know, like it was, it was really close, they had to grab it. And it's lucky that they did, because if they wouldn't have grabbed it, and if any of that cake would have fallen on the ground, they would have been disqualified. Because one of the other things that they had to make sure was that they are not allowed to have any food wastage at all. So like there can be no food waste. And so the reason being because, and I asked the judge about this, um, and she said that because Guinness works all across the world and is in many times in countries that food shortage is a serious problem, they um, needed it and they felt like it was their responsibility to have a requirement, especially for this type of record breaking that, you know, you say you're making a huge hamburger, if you're making a huge hamburger, like that that doesn't go to waste. And so the cake had to be 100% edible and 100% eaten. So she told me that she's like, I cannot leave until every piece is either eaten or distributed somewhere. Yeah, so like it was, it was quite the deal. But they made it, they broke it. Um, the previous record was set in 2006, and that was um, the first time it had been set. So that was the precedence, that was the first person or first company, and that was um, 230 layers. And so they beat it by 30 layers, and um, the judge said that, um, that it, it's actually surprising that it took so long to break it because apparently, like, baking is a super competitive sport. 
Yeah, so people get serious about their baking. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, and so... Um, and and all it took for is for Watkins to turn 150 years. Yeah, now. yeah, I should probably mention that. So this was all in celebration of them turning 150. It was their 150th anniversary. Yeah, so... Um, but yeah, so they, they did it. It almost fell. They're lucky that it didn't. But yeah, so that, that um, equaled about 5,000 servings. And um, by the time I left and had brought you guys back some cake, <laughs> it, we, they had just gotten into that um, that big base layer. So that's like the first 150 layers. Wow. I was pretty yeah. excited because I ended up with a corner piece. Oh, you did! <laughs> and it was too much. What you normally would think of is of a normal serving of cake. It was like three servings of cake because of all the frosting. And it's like, yeah. and there were like four or five six maybe seven layers in this you know normal looking size piece of cake so there's all that frosting inside it was yeah. so good but i i had too much too quickly yeah so what was the ingredient list like or how many things do they need to make this huge cake yeah how, how many yeah. eggs do you need to make uh -huh, a cake man. Like that? okay so get this this was this was crazy okay so they use 900 eggs 480 pounds of sugar. <laughs> well, that explains this headache. Right, right. Yeah, really. 102 pounds of shortening, 45 pounds of butter, 32 pounds of oil. I'm just going to stop and say that all of this weighs more than my three-year-old. <laughs> they had to do use 45 pounds of milk, 2.5 pounds of salt, and 7 pounds of Watkins all-natural baking vanilla extract. So it was intense. It was so wow. intense. Yeah, and um, yeah, you know, and they 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 did it though, and I, it would have been really sad if they would have been you know disqualified. If any of that would have fallen. Yeah. I know. I was thinking about how you would write this if you yeah. get there and they didn't get it. <laughs> right. Almost makes like the yeah. World that probably would have been the lead. Is Guinness almost broke the world record. Yeah. 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 But they yeah. So now so now Winona. Um, has got a Guinness World Record on the... But, you know, what's crazy, though, is, like, I asked whether or not it would be in um, the 2020 edition of the Guinness World Record book, and apparently... Okay, so get this. This was pretty cool. There's over 20,000 categories that Guinness holds records of records in. Right. Yeah. Um, and only about 4,000 of them can fit into a book. So it's kind of like the luck of the draw of what they can um, put in there because, you know, they'll do it based on different categories that come up or different themes that they see and, you know, how it looks. And um, she mentioned this, which I thought was funny, you know, what a 13-year-old boy would want to look at. <laughs> like, apparently that's, like, one of their big viewers. I mean, I've read the Guinness World Record. Yeah, I was thinking I about haven't. that, and it's like, probably the last time I looked at one, I was 13. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, so... Pretending to do work in some reading class. Right, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was fun, it was good, it was really, it was definitely really tasty. It's not very often that I eat sweets, but uh, yeah, this pregnant lady was definitely partaking. <laughs> you, were, you were eating for... Two, maybe four. Right, maybe right. Six. <laughs> but it was cool. The um, the president of Watkins, he had said, um, it was it was really cute. He said, um, you know, we just wanted to prove that after 150 years, you could still do something great. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's what so a, sweet. Yeah, ah, what a sweet ah, note to end on. Ah. <laughs>
Thanks for joining us for episode 10 of What's Up Winona. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We're working on adding new places all the time. This week, we're trying to add the podcast to Google Podcasts so Android users can enjoy this podcast too. What's Up Winona is a product of the Winona Daily News' awesome editorial staff and the River Valley Media Group. You can find great stories like these online at winonadailynews.com or on our Facebook page by searching for Winona Daily News.